This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 384. Hey, everybody, this is Jay Baer, president of Convince and Convert and author of the New York Times bestselling business book, Utility. You are listening to my pal Jeff Brown on the Read to Lead podcast. There is absolutely no doubt that artificial intelligence, AI, is as hot a topic as it's ever been. And although we don't have to worry about evil robots rising to power and turning us into pets, and we probably never will, Artificial intelligence is here to stay, and we must learn to separate fact from fiction and embrace how this amazing technology enhances our world. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and you found the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm here because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. I'm going to help you not only narrow your ever-important reading list, but bring you key insights and main ideas from the books written by some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today, we'll be joined by Stephen Schwartz. He's author of the book, Evil Robots, Killer Computers, and Other Myths the truth about AI and the future of humanity. I'll ask Stephen to share about his frustrations with how AI has been covered in the media and in popular culture. We'll discuss the fears worth having with regard to AI. We'll dig into the terms AI deception and anthropomorphism and plenty more. You know, I've long said that if you spend $20 on a book and you come away with just one great idea, that's a great return on investment. That's $20 well spent. Well, what if you came away with not just one great idea, but several, and you spent barely more than half that? That'd be a wise investment, would it not? Well, have I got a deal for you. I sound like a used car salesman, don't I? Hey, I do have a deal for you, and it's one you don't want to pass up. Two weeks from today, August 31st, 2021, my new book releases officially. It's called Read to Lead. Sound familiar? The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and boosts your career, and you can get it for just 11 bucks. That's 40% off the retail price when you pre-order the book, which you need to do within the next couple of weeks. Time is running out. It literally comes out in just a couple of weeks, but when you pre-order it, you get 40% off. Just go to readtoleadbook.com to get all the details. By the way, not only do you get 40% off, but my co-author, Jesse Wisniewski, and I throw in several hundred dollars in free stuff. So check it out at readtoleadbook.com. In the book, you'll find chapters like why you need to read like your career depends on it, ways to double or triple your reading speed in minutes, how to create an unchangeable reading habit, the key to nearly mastering anything, and much, much more. I've been working on the book for the better part of two years, and I cannot wait to get it in your hands. I think it's worth a little bit more than 11 bucks, and I think you will too. But get it for $11 right now, 40% off when you go to readtoleadbook.com and pre-order it today. That's readtoleadbook.com. Steve Schwartz began his AI career working with Roger Shank as a postdoctoral researcher in the Yale University Artificial Intelligence Lab. Steve was a founder or co-founder of several AI companies, one of which created the award-winning Esprit Business Intelligence product. As the AI winter of the 1990s set in, Steve transitioned into a career as a successful serial software entrepreneur and investor and created several companies that were either acquired or had public offerings. 
Steve's new book is called Evil Robots, Killer Computers, and Other Myths, The Truth About AI and the Future of Humanity. What a book title. I love it. Steve, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Now, this is not a topic we talk about very often, apart from its impact on uh, jobs, good and bad, potentially, and we'll get to that in in a bit. But I want to first start with having you share a bit about some of your frustrations over the years with how AI has been covered in the media and, and in popular culture. So, Jeff, you know, my concerns start with the grandiose terms used in the AI community, hmm. like intelligence, learning, imagination. I think a better name for what we call AI and machine learning is computational statistics. <laughs> the, the terms intelligence and learning evoke thoughts of science fiction characters like mm. the androids in Westworld and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's fearsome <laughs> Terminator. Yeah. You know, in contrast, the term computational statistics evokes thoughts of our most boring college <laughs> class. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the reality is that machine learning and artificial intelligence systems in general have zero real intelligence. And mm. in fact, the deep learning neural networks that you hear so much about are a computational technique to compute functions that perform statistical classification. And statistical classification is not new. I was teaching it at Towson University in the late 1970s. Mm. It wasn't called AI back then. And who knew the techniques that I was teaching back then would become known as artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mm. Well, when you set out to to write the book, then what was your ultimate goal? Was it in part to just dispel? Uh, I mean, the title suggests, you know, <laughs> you want to dispel yeah. some of these myths. Uh, were there other goals uh, involved with writing the book? Absolutely. AI has made great strides from an engin- engineering perspective. Mm. Siri answers our questions. Google Translate helps us talk to taxi drivers in foreign lands. Mm. Our, our smartphones automatically identify the faces in our photos and Self-driving cars may even be on the horizon. That progress naturally leads people to wonder where it will all end. Will will AI robots get so smart they try to exterminate us or turn us into pets or or just take all our jobs? Tesla founder Elon Musk said that AI is humanity's biggest existential threat. So in my book, what I try to do is explain in very simple terms how AI works and why AI systems are not going to become intelligent enough to have the ability to exterminate us, to turn us into pets, or, or to take all our jobs. And I'm pretty sure this won't happen in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes. And what you're getting at, if memory serves, is basically the difference between AI, artificial intelligence, and simple computations, and what's called uh, artificial general intelligence, right? That's right. Yeah. So each of today's AI systems performs a single task that previously required human intelligence. And if we compare these systems with the AGI systems of science fiction lore um, and with human beings, there are really two striking differences. First, each of today's AI systems can perform only one narrowly defined task, a system that learns to name the people in photographs cannot do anything else. It cannot distinguish between a dog and an elephant. It can't answer questions, retrieve information, or have conversations. Secondly, 
Today's AI systems have little or no common sense knowledge of the world mm. and therefore can't reason based on that knowledge. You know, for example, a facial recognition system can identify people's names and photographs, but knows nothing about those particular people or about people in general. It doesn't know that people use eyes to see and ears to hear. It doesn't know that people eat food, sleep at night, and work at jobs. It, it can't commit crimes or, or, or fall in love. So although the performance of these AI systems make them seem intelligent, they really aren't. You know, in, in contrast, people and, and these fictional AI, AGI systems can perform large numbers of dissimilar tasks, not just one narrowly defined task. We not only recognize faces. We read the paper, we cook dinner, we tie our shoes, we discuss current events, and we perform many, many other tasks. We also reason based on common sense knowledge of the world. For example, we, we use our knowledge of gravity when we take a glass out of the cupboard. We know that if we don't grasp it tightly enough, it'll fall. This isn't conscious knowledge derived from a definition of gravity or, or a description in a mathematical equation. It's unconscious knowledge. Mm. It's derived from our lived experience of how the world works. And we use that kind of knowledge to perform dozens, hundreds, thousands of, the, of tasks every day. Mm. And, and artificial intelligence just isn't there yet and, and may never be. But uh, what, in your view, are the fears worth having, uh, Steve, with regard to, to AI? So two of the biggest issues are privacy and discrimination. Mm. You know, one of the most important applications of AI today is facial recognition. And, and facial recognition has many benign uses, like naming the people in the pictures we take on our smartphones. It's used to detect terrorists at airports, violent criminals in our malls, and it's even been used to catch child traffickers. But facial recognition can be used to invade our privacy. I don't know if you remember George Orwell's famous book, 1984. Oh, yeah. And to read it in school. <laughs> yeah. Well, he described a society in which people are monitored 24 by 7. Mm. Well, facial recognition technology is enabling that today, and it's happening in China. The Chinese government's Sharp Eyes project is connecting security cameras across China in an effort to monitor all 1.4 billion people mm. and to identify and monitor dissidents and criminals 24 by 7. You know, it... <laughs> It's even been used to catch toilet paper thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in addition to privacy, facial recognition and other AI tools can be discriminatory. Mm. So facial recognition systems have been proven to falsely identify minorities at a much higher rate than, than white males. And similarly, there are issues around the ability of AI systems that make decisions on bank loans and other things to explain how they reach the decisions to ensure they're not discriminatory. Interestingly, the Western world is handling these issues of privacy and discrimination very differently from China. Mm. So for example, facial recognition is being banned in public places in both Europe and the US, and both are starting to require explanations when computer systems make life-altering decisions. But I'll tell you, my biggest fear around AI is self-driving vehicles. Mm. You know. Computers and self-driving cars are incredibly fast. They won't fall asleep and they won't drive drunk. So many people reason self-driving vehicles will be safer than human drivers, but that's a faulty assumption. Computers 
cannot do one critical function that keeps human drivers safe. They can't think and reason. And people use thinking and reasoning to handle the unexpected events that happen regularly in everyday driving. Mm. So there are reasons to think they might be safer and reasons to think they might be less safe. Self-driving environments where, where unexpected events occur are, are unlikely to be safe. But there are environments where these unexpected events are unlikely. So, for example, self-driving vehicles that shuttle people back in a corporate park from one point to another, you know, running at five miles an hour, mm. are unlikely to encounter unexpected incidents. So they'll be safe. At the other extreme are consumer vehicles. If we allow self-driving consumer vehicles on the road, we're probably going to see a lot of accidents. And in the middle are self-driving taxis that are limited to specific city streets, times of day, and weather conditions. And, you know, those might be proven to be safe, and we might actually see those see those soon. Well, Steve points out that there have been, so far, three AI hype cycles, I think, if I'm getting the term correct. Right. Uh, and so far, two AI winters. Uh, and that would suggest a maybe a third winter is in the future. Uh, Steve, you say that's not the case. Why is there no third AI winter coming up in your view? Yeah, so, Jeff, in the 1980s, AI was as hyped as it is today. It was on the front page of magazines. Mm. Every new software product was labeled as an AI product, mm -hmm. but it failed to live up to its hype. And it was out of favor by the end of the 1980s. You know, a, a well-known Berkeley professor said he had 500 students in his intro to AI class in 1985, but that dwindled to 25 students by 1990. Mm. That, that was actually the second AI winter. The first AI winter occurred in the late 1960s. So now we're on the third hype cycle of AI. The, the first two hype cycles of AI were all about producing computers and robots with human-level intelligence or, mm. or AGI. What's different this time around is that AI has actually produced very useful capabilities. We've talked about facial recognition, mm. machine translation, speech recognition, medical diagnosis. AI is impacting almost every field. So in this third hype cycle, even though AI will again fail to produce human-level intelligence or AGI, because it's producing very useful single-task applications, investment will continue, class sizes will remain large, and I don't think there'll be a third AI winter. Hmm. Uh, you talked a bit uh, earlier about some of the fears that I asked you about, some of the things we should be afraid of. Expound a bit on the topics of deception and anthropomorphism, if you can kind of define how that relates to AI. Sure. So one of the biggest issues around AI is, is deep fakes. AI-based deep fake technology enables me or anyone else to record a video of you and use it to create a different video of you saying anything I want you to say. So imagine the impact of a fake video of a presidential candidate saying that he or she hates all blacks and Latinos. So that's, that's, that's one big issue um, around deep fakes. On the anthropomorphism side, anthropomorphism refers to the tendency of people to believe computers and robots are smarter than they really are. They like develop feelings for them even, right? <laughs> like develop feelings, absolutely. But it's that psychological thing that if the computer said it, it's got to be right. Mm. I'll give you an example. And this was years ago when I was a graduate student. The professor that, that led the AI lab at, at Yale University 
every year used to take his graduate students on a field trip to Belmont Park. And we'd all sit there in the grandstands and he'd stand in front of us and explain to us how to handicap the horses. And, you know, you'd kind of see the pundits off to the side, you know, pointing, who's this guy? What does he know? He doesn't know anything. <laughs> and one day, Roger was his name. Roger took out, he had some notes written on a piece of green and white computer paper. So he, he took out the green and white computer paper and started, you know, going through his notes and the pundits crowded in. <laughs> they saw the computer paper and they said, oh, the computer must have produced this. He must know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and that tendency is exacerbated mm. when robots are made with human-like faces. You know, being able to manufacture a robot that has a human-looking face um, is a significant feat of manufacturing, but there's no reason to assume that the robot has any intelligence just because it has a human face or, or human-like eyes. But, you know, people do exactly, exactly that. And, uh, and you know, as, as, as you mentioned, you know, there have been people even get emotionally attached in the uh, there was a, an example in the military of uh, bomb disposal robots that that people got attached to, and if they got blown up, people were really upset. Mm. You know, you reminded me as you were talking, Steve. I just got a survey from Amazon yesterday or the day before. I'm a recent purchaser of an Echo Show in my kitchen. Yeah, and it was interesting to me that the survey was asking me questions related to how I feel about the show. Do I think of, and I don't want to say her name because there's another one in this room, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> do, do I think of her as a member of the family? Uh, I mean, questions of that nature, you know, those anthropomorphistic, if that's a word, like questions, <laughs> yep. which I thought was really funny. Yeah. And the, you know, the vendors are trying to promote that anthropomorphism. I mean, mm. if, if we can think of, uh, well, I won't say the name because I don't want to trigger your, uh, <laughs> your, your machine, but if we think of those as lifelike or, or, you know, parts of the family, um, we're more likely to use them, more likely to interact with them and more likely to, to spend money on them. Mm, mm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they've, they've got me to spend money on three of them so far. So <laughs> yeah, well, I've got, I've got one from Amazon and one from Google. <laughs> you you know, be in both camps. Awesome. Uh, give us a bit of uh, insight, uh, Steve, into your history with, with reading I'd be curious to know if uh, the habit of reading consistently and intentionally is something you practice. And if so, how would you say it has played a role in your success, if it indeed has? You know, Jeff, I've always enjoyed self-directed learning from books mm. and, and other materials. And I've always disliked sitting in a classroom setting and being taught. <laughs> so, you know, as a result, I, I was fairly unmotivated in my classwork, you know, as a, as a student, but uh, but read a great deal outside of high school. So when it became time to choose a college, I chose one that emphasized self-directed learning and in fact had no grades. Mm. Uh, the name of it was New College in, in, in Sarasota, Florida. You know, it attracted people like me with high SAT scores and not so good grades. Mm. <laughs> and, and I prospered there. Awesome. What about a book or two that maybe you find yourself recommending? What are some books you've read over the years that, that have truly impacted you? You know, on the AI front, my favorite book of all time was by my AI mentor, Roger Shang, named mm. Scripts, Plans, Goals, and Understanding. And that, that was probably the most influential book on, on my AI career. But I've also spent a lot of time in business, and there have been a, a lot of business books that have influenced me. I've spent a lot of time overseas and, and, and really enjoy learning about other cultures. And, and over the years, I've always gone back to a book named Kiss, Bow, and Shake Hands 
whenever I would travel, I would look up the chapter on that country or that area of the world, and it would explain the culture and the cultural practices. And I found both reading the book interesting and, and actually learning the actual cultural practices of wherever I was traveling. And I'd say last in my business career, I've spent a lot of time on acquisitions, both with my companies getting acquired and acquiring other companies. And one book that I encountered early on in my career named Three Frogs on a Log is kind of still the Bible for, for how to merge companies. Three Frogs on a Log. I'm not familiar with that one. I have to check yeah. that out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, was, it came in, I'm going to say mid-80s. Okay. Well, what would you say now with the book having been out for the better part of this year, uh, what's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and able to share with us at this point? You know, I retired from my most recent startup, Device 42, uh, a year ago, mm. um, so I could finish my my book on AI. And right now, I'm I'm thinking about what to do next. <laughs> you know, I haven't crystallized the idea, mm. but I'm I'm thinking maybe starting a another AI company in the uh, natural language processing area. Oh, interesting! I have to keep my eye on that. Well, uh, Stephen's book again is called "Evil Robots, Killer Computers, and Other Myths: The Truth About AI and the Future of Humanity." And if you are interested at all in this topic, I I know I am. I highly recommend this book from Stephen. If there's anybody that knows about this topic, it's him. Stephen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to sit with us today and and share about your book and your experiences. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's been fun. Easily one of my favorite book titles of the last year. As always, to connect with Steve online and to check out the links and resources we referred to today, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 384 for episode 384. Let me remind you that there is not much time left to pre-order my book at 40% off. It's due out August 31st, 2021. Get it for just 11 bucks when you go to readtoleadbook.com. That's the physical book. Now, if you're an audiobook person, know that when you pre-order it, you get the audiobook for free, plus a bunch of other goodies. You can find out more about all of those at readtoleadbook.com. Again, readtoleadbook.com. Hey, thanks for the recent five-star ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. One from Heels23 that says, Read to Lead is at the top of my favorite podcast list. The show features some of the best authors of today. And Jeff has a sixth sense for asking insightful questions and inspire compelling conversations. That is amazing to hear, Heels23. Thank you for that. Hey, who do you know that might need a podcast like this one? Maybe they're having trouble building a reading habit or finding time to read. Introducing them to a podcast like this one might be just the trick. I hope you'll give that some thought and consideration. Hey, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time when we have a very special guest. In fact, two guests, or maybe should I say three, for the first time in Read to Lead history, the host of the show next week will not officially be me. I'll be here. I just won't be the one asking the questions. More on that next week. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.